Hi, I'm Doug. I'm David. And we are Beyond Hungry. So, Doug, do you want to tell the people about this podcast? Yeah, this is a podcast about food, about culture, and the people who love it as much as we do. Uh, David, you and I are two people who would always end up in these really long conversations in parking lots, <laughs> just talking about uh, the food we've been eating, uh, the restaurants we've been to, the restaurants that we want to go to, or the dishes that we wanted to try making. This is something that always happened. And I, I'm trying to think about when we met. I, I think we met just after you moved here, uh, here being Des Moines, Iowa, just from Chicago, right? Yes. Um, I just moved here and then I tried to get involved with the community. And I, and I believe it was through an organization. And I just tried like a workshop and I tried to get connected. And we just met and literally it was like meeting an old friend. And you're you're from Ames, right? Like just that move here to Des Moines. Yeah, yeah. So Ames is not that far from Des Moines. It's about maybe like half an hour, forty minutes. Small university town. Uh, it's where Iowa State University is, and definitely not kind of. You grew up in Waukegan, but spent a lot of time in Chicago. I mean, it's a suburb, right? Well, how do you define that? <laughs> I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it a suburb. I call it a thing on its own, just because there's like you know, suburb has its like own connotation. Right. But it's it's um. About 30, 30 to 40 minutes north of Chicago. It's okay. north of the Great Lakes Naval Naval Base. So, so yeah, uh, If for anyone who doesn't want to do the geography on that, we are both from the Midwest, that means. Uh, Iowa, Illinois, all that. And so that's, that's one kind of thing that we want to do with this podcast is uh, really kind of explore the Midwest in terms of its food and culture and, and how people get here and how their food gets here and what happens to it once it's here and a lot of the interesting things that happen to it uh, in the Midwest that, you know, maybe aren't as visible as they might be on the coasts. Uh, so, I mean, growing up in, in Iowa, growing up in Ames, Chicago was definitely like the biggest city that was, you know, within driving distance for us, or at least that was the biggest city that we wanted to go to a lot. How did you feel about Chicago? Oh, I, I, I mean, I loved it. I mean, it does have its, you know, it has its problems, but the variety, the accessibility, the diversity is, you know, it was just something that I really enjoyed just going and trying different things and just feeling like there's just life everywhere. But yeah, like talking about like, we, you know, I never really experienced the coast. So every time I was like researching about food or, or different plates or different cuisine, like it was only like either coast based. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like New York or the L.A. that's considered like the meccas of of the food industry. And I think you and I would talk about that. So how, how about you? Like when you go to Chicago or how did you feel? Because I know you also like lived in New York, New York for a little bit. Yeah. So like Chicago, definitely. I remember growing up uh, as a kid and my parents and I, we would we would take trips up there because uh, that was one of the larger Korean communities that was there. We had a tiny one in Ames, but uh, definitely Chicago is where we would go. And we'd sometimes pick up like ingredients that we could get at the stores there that we couldn't get back at home. And then the coasts, you know, I I, I, ha I have to be, you know, honest and fair about this. Like definitely, like I moved off to the East Coast for school and then like worked in New York for a little bit. And I definitely adopted this very obnoxious, superior, <laughs> like East Coast mentality. And I would come home and kind of shit on everything here and just like, you know, like I, I didn't. I didn't really understand, uh, and I definitely had this perspective that everything out there was better. Um, but I think, you know, definitely since moving back, 
and just looking a little bit deeper, I've really found that there is a lot here, that there's just a lot of stuff that's maybe not very visible uh, to the outside, either because of media or just the way that people think about the Midwest. I mm-hmm. think people mm-hmm. think of the Midwest, yep. and especially Iowa, as these really, really white uh, flyover states that, you know, it's just burgers and brats and hot dogs and French fries and and things like that. And and to be fair, yeah, it is those things, but there is more there than I think people give it credit for. And it's hard for that to show up. And that's one of the things I think we're really interested in in trying to uncover and trying to excavate here is everything that's going on here, all the wonderful things, all the strange interactions that happens when you take um, take a lot of that culture from other countries and other places and drop it in the Midwest and, and kind of sees what happens. Yeah, I mean, like even... Like Chicago, they, they the only thing that people talk about is like the deep dish pizza or the hot dog, but they don't talk about like the Chinatown or like little India. Like so no one really talks about like the other cuisine that's happening in Chicago or even like in Minneapolis, Iowa, Wisconsin, and that's something that you and I would talk about, and we'd lose in conversation, and people would like be not upset, but they would be like, you guys just talk about food all day. And they would think that we're chefs. You're like, are you guys chefs or do you guys work at restaurants? And I've never really worked at one. Um, Doug, I don't like, you want to speak about your experience in the restaurant industry? I I am, I am a hundred percent someone who has never worked in service at all or retail. I'm very, very spoiled. Um, (laughs) and, and that's terrible, but no, no, I've never really done any of that. And, you know, I think later in the episode, of course, we'll, we'll kind of get into where kind of our, our passions lie and, and kind of how that started. But yeah, I mean, we are, we are, we are not professionals in any way. We're just two people who really love food. We're really interested in it, uh, learning more about it and just kind of exploring, um, the, the people and the culture that goes behind it. I totally agree. Should we get on with it? Yeah. Let's get started. What, what sparked your interest in food? Like, why are you so passionate about it? Maybe it was in like high school when I ventured out on like a road trip with a couple of friends to Iowa City and we decided to treat ourselves to a, a restaurant. I don't even know what the restaurant was called anymore, but I think it served, it was like a roast chicken. I had like a roast half chicken. And I just remember it was flavored and spiced in such a way that I had never really experienced those flavors before. And also I'd never had a roast chicken that good before. Like, I don't know if people remember, but like food used to be really bad. <laughs> like food was terrible. Um, in a lot of places, even at a lot of like fine dining establishments, like I feel like collectively over the last like 10, 15, 20 years, people have gotten a lot better at cooking food. People's expectations have risen. And I just remember eating that roast chicken and realizing that there was so much more to roast chicken than I'd had in all the other roast chickens I'd had before in my entire life. And I think that's kind of where it started, that it just kind of opened my eyes like, oh, this is more than just what I've been having. This is really good. I would like to have this again. I would like to find out how I can do this. And I think, to be fair, like that was a long time ago. And I think it's just been a slow accumulation of food knowledge. You know, I'm definitely far more interested and engaged with the food than I ever have been before in my entire life, but it's taken a long time to get there. And it, I've just kind of like built it up. It was never like a, you know, a, a big leap anywhere. What's, uh, where do you, where do you feel like you started getting interested in food? I feel like I got really interested at a very young age. And I think 
I could have expanded more upon it, but I feel that my parents didn't want me to pursue a career or um, spend as much time in a kitchen just because, you know, them coming from, from Mexico and, you know, knowing a lot of people who worked in kitchens, they kind of didn't see that as, as an option, but they still had me appreciate food for what it is and try different things. Like I remember every time my dad would get new fruit, like papaya or, um, kiwis or, or anything that he would like make like barbacoa, um, he would have me try it. He's like, try it first. And I'll be like, I don't, I don't think I like it. And he's like, you haven't even tried it. He's like, like, well, what is it? He's like, try it. And he'll always tell me, he's like, try it. And then he's like, if you don't try it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop bothering you. <laughs> so I'll try it and then I'll like it. And then, we, then he will tell me what it is. So a lot of it, like going back to Mexico at a very young age, you know, spending there every summer, every year, we would go, he would go looking for these, these uh, cactus fruits called pitayas. They're kind of like tunas, they're kind of like the prickly pear, but they only come out once a year. And so we'll go searching for these. What do, what do you mean searching uh, for these? Like, are like at the markets, you know, in the grocery store, in the... You go to, you go to you markets. Go to markets. Okay. So in Mexico, you go to markets and I mean, there is grocery stores, but usually you look at like the, the small markets, the small farmers, the small people and harvesting from their land. And we'll go to some pueblos and we'll look for pitayas. And so there's like little small um, fruits that are like very bright and like purple magenta colors. And he like approached this lady and she had like a little bucket and she's like, how many do you want? She's like, he's like, I'll take them all. <laughs> so she like cut them up from, and she put them in the bag and my dad's like, here, have some. And I was like, no, he was like, just, just have one. And I was like, no. So he's like, all right, we'll hold it. You know, we're going to be driving to a next town. And I held one and I, and I ate one and there's like bag and the bag was probably, I would say probably like a liter bag. And I liked them so much. I ate the entire bag. <laughs> How old were you? I was, I was like thinking like about seven, seven years old. And you know, after that, you know, like my, my thing was just like, it was just opening for me to accept things. Like I remember my cousin gave me a taco. He's like, what kind of tacos? Like I was really into tongue tacos, like lengua tacos. I was like my favorite. And he's like, try this. Like we don't have any lengua tacos. Cause the, the stand that we went to were sold out. And he's like, what kind is it? He's like, just eat it. And I ate it and it was delicious. The texture was fantastic. It was like this gelatin, but so flavorful burst, you know, um, kind of like collagen and it turned out to be eye, <laughs> eye tacos. And it, you know, after, ever since then, like I was really open to trying new things and, you know, your, your understanding of culture is just so limited if you limit yourself of what you want to try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wish I had more of that approach when I was growing up. I, d I do remember that my dad also was like pretty instrumental to like introducing me to new foods. Um, I don't think I fully appreciated them until much later, but I remember because my dad would because he was a professor and so he would go to conferences all over, you know, all over the States or in, you know, in different countries sometimes. And I think it was just something that he really liked to do was that he would love to explore the culture there and the food there. And he would always try to bring a little bit of it back or see if he could get something like that when he came home. Uh, and so I do remember 
you know, different moments where he'd come back from a trip and then he'd go to the grocery store. I, I, I remember, definitely remember him going to the grocery store once and saying, hey, I tried this. I don't remember where he came back from, but he brought back a bunch of beef tongue, <laughs> just like sliced at the deli. I, this was must have been back in the 90s or something like that, um, maybe, maybe late 80s when they still did that. I don't think you can get that at Hy-Vee anymore. <laughs> I don't think you can do that. Um, but I remember trying it and thinking it tasted funny. Um, and on, honestly, I should try beef tongue again because it's been a, a long time and I do wonder what it, whether I'd like it or not. I think I would. Um, but I also remember like uh, there was another trip when he came back from I can't remember if it's Sweden or Norway, but, you know, I apologize to anyone who, who knows this, but uh, some Scandinavian country. And I remember he came back from there. And then because, of course, in Iowa, we have a, a fairly like fairly strong Scandinavian background. Uh, he was able to find lutefisk at the store and brought back lutefisk for us to eat, which that did not go over well with any of us because of how it smelled. But he was always constantly trying to, to introduce us to things like that. Um, whenever he would travel, he would try and bring a little bit back because he thought I think it was important for us to understand the world from that perspective or that food would be a way for us to understand, uh, get our foot in the door of being interested in another country or another place. So, yeah. What about cooking? When did you first get into cooking? Well, I think I got really into cooking when I was also like at a young age, but it was like more like basic stuff. It was more of a, out of necessity. You know, my, my mom ran a home business and sometimes she was either too busy and I was hungry and my dad was either at work. So my whole thing was like, all right, I'm start making either canned food and then I either got tired of it. So I was like, oh, I want to try to make an omelet and and like learning small small things and then once i got into high school I started getting more experimental and ex making the kitchen explode <laughs> um but yeah like a lot of it was like i think there's this one story where my mom made like lentils and i, I did not like them at the time she made them like in a stew and you know my mom was already strong-willed and and you know we grew from a, a very we weren't really privileged growing up. So, you know, she made lentils and I was like, I don't really like them. I want to eat something different. And then she's like, well, there's nothing else. And it was either the choice of like, make something different or don't eat. Mm. And I didn't eat lunch that day. And I waited for my dad to get home. So I was like, oh, maybe my dad will make me something different. And he asked me what was for dinner. My mom said leftover lentils and either had to make a bowl of cereal or make myself something different. So... <laughs> So that was that was like the whole getting into it, um, but yeah, I think once I was going off to college and you know on the weekends I didn't really have like a meal plan, so a lot of it had to be cooking for myself. And you know a lot of people ate butter noodles, but for me it was like if I'm gonna make pasta, you know making pasta sauce and just learning from that and just making making things that I found enjoyable for myself. When did you start cooking? And I want to know when you started like experimenting because mm. you do a lot of experimenting. So I, I think I grew up in a very different household than yours. Uh, I mean, because I'm I'm Korean American, my parents are Korean, and so you know I I grew up in Ames, Iowa, university town. I was at universities there, and I think I grew up as like such a minority. There was a Korean community, but it was relatively small and it was 
like there were kids of all different ages, but there was like maybe only a couple kids that were my age. So it, it wasn't a big, it wasn't really a community to, to me. Like I didn't have a bunch of kids that I play with at school or anything like that. And so I very much from a young age, you, you know, was kind of on that path towards assimilation. I just, I didn't want to be bothered and I wanted to blend in as much as possible um, so that like I could avoid trouble and, you know, and like people were nice. Um, but I think probably looking back, there were probably some really good reasons why I did that. Um, just to kind of like maintain protected and, and just to like not have life be a hassle. Um, and so I think it probably came down to, you know, my mom would be cooking Korean food, but because I was on this path towards assimilation, I didn't want to eat any of that. And so I probably started cooking, yeah, in elementary school and trying to prepare my own meals because I just, I didn't want to, I was trying to project that Korean part of myself. And so I would cook, like I figured out how to boil noodles and I would make really overcooked pasta <laughs> because I didn't read the box instructions or whatever. And I didn't care. Um, um, and I would get like those jars of pasta sauce, like the ragu or the prego or, or things like that. And then I would just like, and I'd get have that craft you know, cylinder of, of, of grated sawdust cheese. And, uh, and then I would, you know, make my meals that way. And then I, I think it took me a long time to actually incorporate meat because I found it kind of like gross and disgusting and dangerous. Cause I was like always afraid of like not cooking the meat enough. And I think at some point, like, I think my mom kind of gave up on cooking Korean food a little bit because I was probably so frustrating. And then later when I went to Korea to teach English for a little bit, that's when I, I really learned more about that and got more interested in it. But even then, you know, what you want to cook is the stuff that you can't get. And so mm -hmm. it was me being in Korea trying to recreate American dishes with like, the ingredients they had over there. And it wasn't until I came back that I started to really miss all the food that I would get at all the diners there or any of the fine dining restaurants or anything like that. All the barbecue places that I really got interested in really trying to do that myself here because, you know, obviously you know, in the Midwest, there isn't a lot of Korean barbecue. There isn't a lot of, you know, uh, there aren't a lot of these things that I would be able to have over there. And so that, that kind of set me down more on the path of like really learning to cook well. But now that I reflect on what you said, like when you're in Korea, you were making like American food. I feel like when I was in Mexico, I was making pasta <laughs> and, and try to make pizza and things that I mentioned, like the cheeseburgers don't taste the right. same. And I, I mean, I think I also, you know, you definitely when like, when you're like, I, I did grow up in a very diverse um, town. Now I grew up in like Waukegan, and there is that like uh, wanting to assimilate to to everyone around you to kind of like fit in. And you know, like my my parents. So my dad used to would bring my food to school. He would figure out what time my lunch was, and he was there. And sometimes you know, like have like lasagna or you know have some stuff that my mom made or you know from in the kitchen. But I kind of felt like I was an outsider and I wanted a Lunchable and I wanted that bologna sandwich right. and I wanted like that basic like food just to to be kind of fit in with the people around mm -hmm. me and to be accepted. And I think that that did that with like developmental, like choosing what I wanted to cook and, you know, pasta being the easiest thing mm -hmm. and everyone being able to relate to it. So it's kind of like I didn't fully understand until going either going to friends houses and seeing what they ate to kind of be fully like see what their culture is but I, I think it took me a while to to start cooking either like mexican food 
And also, I think mainly was because, you know, moving away to college and um, I still went to school in Chicago. But also like moving to Iowa is once you take away the access to that food, kind of like, you know, when you left Korea, you know, back in Waukegan, it was so diverse that there's so many Mexican restaurants. And if you want to eat Mexican food, it's so easy just to go and, and pick it up to then being removed from it. And we're like, well, now I have to like find that flavor that I'm used right. to. Do you feel like you appreciated it back then the way that you do now? No. <laughs> Me neither. I, don't, I mean, I don't think I appreciated even who I was or my background back then. Me too. You know, like, wow. I, don't, I don't, I think like we don't see the bigger picture until you're removed and you're, like, you're kind of forced to think about it and, you know, like struggle with the identity and who you want to be. And it's more catered of like not even knowing like who you want to be, but who you want people, who you want people to think you are or who you think they will accept. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely didn't understand any of that when I was, when I was out in Korea, I definitely didn't appreciate it. And I think what's so interesting is that like now the things that I try and cook, the things that kind of like I wake up and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I really wish I had this are, are dishes that I, I honestly kind of loathed when I was in Korea that I would just like, I'd sit down at like a place and I would order something and be like, this is, this is like the least worst option to me of what I want to eat right now. But now I, I wake up sometimes, you know, now that I'm here, I'm like, man, I really want that. I didn't appreciate mm-hmm. back then, but like I'm trying to get back to what that was and, and trying to figure out how to recreate that. Um, and I think it's so strange that's the way things are that um but i i it's there's something kind of beautiful about that too um about that experience but i mean i, f- I feel like we're in between two worlds right like do you, did you feel like when you're back in korea that you were too american oh definitely um and then you're here in, in in the u.s and like you're not either american enough or you're, you're korean you know a little bit less so you know over the last 10 years because i think representation has gotten so much better um mm-hmm you know, I, I mean, I, I, I would have to attribute that like some of like the feelings of shame or some of the, the the feelings that I had around wanting to hide like my, you know, food culture, like the Korean food culture in my everyday life when I was young was about just like, I don't see it on TV, right? Mm-hmm. So people don't want it if they don't see it on TV or if they don't see it in mass media. And in the same way that like, I think the reason why both you and I wanted Lunchables is because they were being advertised to us, but no one's advertising bulgogi and rice on TV. No one's advertising (laughs) eyeball tacos on TV. And so like, you know that all of your friends don't think that it's cool or that like no one is going to share that with you. And so like, you just, you, you want to have a connection. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, I can understand like wanting to have a connection around Lunchables or wanting to have a connection around school lunch and pizza day. Mm-hmm. And, but I think it's just been like the unintended sort of side effect of it being such like a, a, a monolithic, just American culture drowning out everything else, including the parts of ourselves that are, you know, really important or I don't know, maybe someone out there was intending that. Um, <laughs> we can talk more about that later, I'm sure, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's crazy the way that we we kind of evolve our, our thoughts around food and, and where we come from. I'm still learning so much about Korean cooking. 
um, which I think is complicated because I think when I when I cook Korean food, I think there's this expectation from other people that like this is the real thing, right? Like if I if I were to like cook something for someone, they'd be like, oh, this is this is the real Korean food, and I'm just like, I don't I don't know, like maybe. But like, I think there are other examples of this that you could find. I'm probably substituting a bunch of ingredients. There are are people who are far more knowledgeable on this subject. There are people who have cooked this dish a million times more than I have who are so much better at it. And I feel like there's a little bit of this pressure to be like, like, okay, like if this is your, your first and only like example of this, I feel like I'm, I'm failing the culture in some way, shape or form. Right. Yes. Yeah, in a way. I mean, you're also opening their minds to maybe one day of fully accepting the, I wouldn't I want to say authentic, but like the closer to the origin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, authenticity is like very, th- I think I felt that pressure where, you know, when I was looking for taco places here in Iowa, people was like, oh, like David, David knows the good places. Like if you, if you say it's close to authentic or like close to, to it, they're like, they'll take my word for right. it. And and I struggled with that in the beginning because, you know, I was in search of like the authentic tacos or like authentic Mexican food. But when I was reflecting on it and we had this discussion about what authenticity is, I think a lot of it was my search for flavors of home. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like I need to stop using the word authentic for me. It's like I need to search for food, for the flavor that reminds me of home and that is close to what. I remember it tasting like, mm-hmm. cause like, you know, like I think about like Mexico, like I'm, I'm taking an entire country and trying to find that one authentic taco that tastes from what I remember mm-hmm. it. But you know, like from the region my family's from, you know, they make food completely different than either the Southern or Northern region of Mexico. Yeah. So, but yeah, so like for me it's like, wasn't, I was in search of what I tasted at home and I wanted to share that with people. I'm like, like those tacos from that La Michoacana, the grocery store, you know, like they were from Michoacan, which is like the neighboring state of where my parents are from. So a lot of the, the food similarities are there. So when I tasted it, I was like, I wanted people to taste that. Like that's the, that's the flavors of what I consider in my in my opinion, my experience of what I was used to growing right. up. Right. Yeah, I, I think authenticity has been, I don't know, it's. It's it's a complicated subject, and and it's also a word I don't really like that much anyway. Because I, I remember when I was younger, especially when I was in college, and like a little bit after that, I was like definitely like really into authentic food. You know, I wanted to try authentic Mexican food. I wanted to try authentic, you know, Japanese food, or like find some authentic ramen or things like that. And I, I think what what changed with me is I. I realized at some point that what I was after in terms of authenticity was really more about my own ego was that like, I wanted to be able to say that I knew what the real stuff was. It wasn't about the food. It wasn't about the people who were creating it. It wasn't about culture. It wasn't about history. It was just like something to build myself up. It was something that it was a way that I could show off. It was a way that I could signal to other people that I was more cultured or fancier or something like that more educated and and whatnot. And, and it took me a while to kind of get past that and, and not make it about myself. And that like, so like for me, 
authenticity or whatever you want to call it, like has more to do with the people who are behind it and whether their intentions mm -hmm. are right. Like everyone has seen that example of a, a chef who just wants to be authentic and is just claiming that and is just making food and telling people they're wrong. They, that they're, they're adopting this sort of like sense of authority of like, this is right. That's wrong. Um, and, you know, and then you'll see people from the culture be like, no, you're completely wrong. It can also be this way and it could be this other way. And it's like that's where it all starts to fall apart is I think authenticity implies a single central source of authority that is like locked in a place in time that I think doesn't make any like it doesn't stand up to to like rational thought or or the way the world actually works because, you know food culture is so diverse and it's still evolving in so many different places and it's still built by so many different kinds of people from different backgrounds that you can't have a single source of authority on, on what this is. And I always find that to be, you know, interesting. Um, yeah. And so like, I, I try to really divorce this sense of authority um, whenever I make food and that like, look, this is what I'm trying. I don't know enough yet. I, it was just like such a Midwestern way to approach it. Like, I don't know enough yet, but I mean, I think that's something that we yeah. kind of talked about a little bit as well, David, it was, you know, what we wanted for this podcast is I, I don't think I, I wouldn't consider myself an authority on food necessarily. I know some things, but I'm not, I'm not people. I don't want people to, to think that I, I feel like I know enough about any of the things that we're talking about. I'd, I'd rather approach this from a, a position of like humbleness of, I just want to know more. I want to find out more. I want to learn more. And I, I hope that, you know, the people who are listening out there, you know, want to do the same thing as well. Yeah. I, I am the same, but with you, I, again, I have no authority. I, you know, I think go to culinary school, then you work in, um, as a chef or any of that. But I think like just the passion of the people and the food, was kind of like why I want to do is it. just like, I want to explore. I want to learn more, you know, food is about making people happy in addition to providing nourishment and, you know, looking at and like building community. And that's what fascinates me. It's like, you know, and I hope that, you know, I can just share this passion and spark passion when amongst other people and our listeners or, and just get to know people's stories and, and what they enjoy. And I think that's, that's something that I am very passionate about and I'm just, I just enjoy it. Me too. Next time, we're going to talk to Urban Idio of Lumpion Company, a rising star at the Des Moines Farmer's Market and one of the few people bringing Filipino food to the masses here. Thank you for listening to our first episode. We're so excited to continue exploring food and culture with you. Music is by our good friend, Bo Brenton. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Beyond Hungry or visit us at our webpage at wearebeyondhungry.com.